Beautiful. Dante, uh, Dante came through yesterday and he was with me. Uh, he's been taking me four-wheel driving a little bit in Stockton and he got stuck. Yes, uh, two nights ago we went uh, driving through Stockton for a couple of hours on the, on the beach and then on the sand dunes, like yeah. in, the, in the party of a four-wheel drive, yeah. and he's gone up a hill that he thought, he, he had sort of gone up a few obstacles that, like there's different hills, I don't really know the term for four, that four-wheel drivers use for this stuff, but he was going through different parts of the, the track, went up a couple of hills and was like gunning it on his, his car, because he's got a, I think he's got a, a Nissan Patrol that's really souped up, like he's been, he's put about 25 grand worth of like work into this car, he loves it to death. That's all he pay, uh, spends his money on. Yeah. <laughs> and he's gone up this like sand dune that looked to like even to my eye, and I know nothing about four wheel driving. It didn't look like the sand was that like it looked like pretty soft sand on this like hill of a dune. And he's gone halfway up and then stopped. So he thought, okay, like he's put I, uh, he put the handbrake on to stop. And we just started sliding. Kept on sliding down, oh my God. So we slid down the sand dune into a bush, like into a tree. <laughs> and Dante, so at the, at the end of it, Dante came out of, we got out of there about an hour and a half later because we had a friend with us mm. who had a truck as well. So we had to winch him. We tried winching him up the hill and it took 25 minutes or so for me on foot running around the dunes to find a way for our friend Marcus to get up to the top wow. because the way Dante tried to get up wasn't going to work. Yeah. So we went big loops around like driving all the way back like closer to Kurugang Island along the beach to loop back up and I'm running around with a headlight on for Marcus to, to like guide yeah. and it took us about 20 minutes to find Dante. We tried winching him up and in the process of winching him up uh, Dante's like the I guess the battery in his car is powering his car and the winch to start pulling him up up the sand okay. and his battery died oh no so we had to switch batteries from Marcus's car fixed it and then he ended up just sliding back down the hill so we had Marcus had to get back down to the flat and winch him sideways and Dante had to like sort of just put it, put some gas on and like turn the car that way and then pull him out. It was fucking hilarious. Like it took us probably an hour and a half. And then this all the pitch black. Yeah. What what time? What it was like it was like seven seven thirty, but right. it was still pitch black. Yeah, of course it wasn't there. The, the um, sun's gone down pretty early now, but he um so he did that, but it was just hilarious. And then his his clutch was really messed up from it. Like I guess the pressure of putting the putting the pressure on the, the, the clutch, trying to get up the hill and stuff, wasn't working out for the car. And so now his clutch is completely gone and he, had, he ended up getting it towed back because his car was just fine. And um, so him and he was really, he's been, he's been pretty like depressed because he's put all this work into this car. He put a new clutch in it last year, like early December and has already like needs a new one because he's messed it up. Because he's just, he just knew like, he just drives like an idiot, I think. So, and he, yeah. So he came in last night, and we did a podcast talking about it while drinking Melbourne bitters. Wow. <laughs> just got like uh, more drunk over like an hour. And just oh, so the thing went for an hour. 
Yeah, yeah. Wow. So we just did a little podcast, but we it doesn't really like timing wise, it can go for whatever long like length. But it was pretty yeah. funny. It was good. Wow. Time. Um, but yeah, one of the things I wrote down is like a question to talk to you about. Yeah. Was like I've known you for a long time and I've grown up knowing little stories here and there about your upbringing and stuff. But you had a pretty cool. I guess backstory that you told me about once it was probably way back when I was probably 10 or 12 where you used to play tennis quite seriously like as a as like an 18 year old you went overseas to play and stuff yeah, yeah, can you yeah. tell me about that because you, you tell me little snippets but I've never had a chance to really talk to you about it so basically um, when I was when I left school I left school when I was 15 and 9 months then I started work in a factory at Islington. Okay. And in that time, I was still playing tennis and still got coached a little bit uh, out at Lake Macquarie. And my coach decided that he wanted to take a group of kids over to Europe to play tennis in French money tournaments. So what does that mean? So the French money tournaments are... Uh, the French uh, system has a very good... Um, Tennis system, um, that's why you get a, a, a you know, I mean, you, you got Gail Monfils, you've got, you know, um, Richard Gasquet, all those, all those sorts of players who've probably come through the French system. Right. And basically, um, during the warmer months in Europe, you can play a tennis tournament every week in sort of like spring, summer and autumn. Um, you just travel from town to town, and there's a tournament. There's a tournament you can get. You can go and play. There'll be one on all the time. So you go there for six months, and you can big down people just playing tournament after tournament after tournament, which is great um, uh, practice grounding for people who want to make it to the actual pro tour. Um, uh, so we went over, and basically you get a classmate. You go to Roland Garros, which is where the French Open's held, and. Um, you basically give them some results that you might have had in your own country and they sort of give you an initial, they call it the classman, which is sort of like a, a, group, a, a group ranking, a rating sort of thing. So the way the French tournaments organise is, is that a normal tournament you play, you'd all start from the, the first round. Well, not in their system. If you're a, a zero or a minus, you might come into the tournament, say, the quarter-final level, whereas a 1.6 classman or a 2.6 or a 3.6 might start at the first round or the second round and you have to you have to win maybe three three rounds to get to a, a zero classman person and so is is a three a three on the classman is that someone with better no performance a zero or minus is a better okay so if you're a minus 2.6 or a 3.6 right. you're, you're better than a zero right and you're better than a 1.6 yeah, okay. it goes that way right. yeah so basically we went over there and we started travelling around and um, yeah, basically playing you know, tournament after tournament after tournament. Um, I think that experience made me realise that I probably wasn't going to be a professional tennis player. Right. I was sort of in that in-between okay. in between level, but that gives you a bit of a, an indication of you know, you know, the way you go over there, you sort of think, well, yeah, I, I think, you know, and we weren't probably we weren't training as hard as a professional athlete. We were, we were training, but we weren't training probably as hard as a professional athlete would. But it was a really good experience. Um, met some good people. 
um, met a lot of Dutch Dutch people that I've sort of remained sort of kept in contact, not yeah. made good friends, but kept in contact with over the right. years. And um, yeah, it was a great experience. Six months uh, living in a different country, traveling around in a little uh, Mercedes van, really cramped in at night when we were sleeping. There was, I think, six of us or eight of us in this van in various positions, you know. Well, I slept on something called we call the drawbridge because basically what it was at the two, at, at the back of the van, there was two like bench seats that went across and me and another bloke would they they put a slat of wood across the two benches, put a just a, like a foam mattress on it, <laughs> and we would sleep side by side, me and this other bloke. Right. And then underneath, because there was a space underneath where the where the, the mattress would be, so the would sleep under that. So we would sleep underneath that on the floor underneath. Was there, was there sort of like was there money like for cash prizes involved? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't win a great deal of cash, but um, there was one female player that went with us, and she she was regularly, you know, getting some some French francs. Right. But uh, basically, we were just we just funded it by our savings, and you know, we ate quite frugally. Um, we had a lot of couscous with a lot of chopped up sort of salami and stuff like that in it, right. and, and you know, we we ate very very you know cheaply. Yeah. Okay. Um, the French tournaments really laid it on though, like on the on the on the final final days of the tournament, things like that, finals day and stuff like that, they would um, put on all this big spread with you know local wines and cheeses and all these sorts of things and um, so that was all good and when, you know if they had wine left over they'd say oh give it to the Aussies so we'd leave we'd leave all these tournaments with bottles of wine <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Um, uh, Probably was intoxicated for the first time when I was over there. We we raided this um, this French tournament's bar at night because we used to sleep in the grounds of the, yeah. uh, the tennis courts. So we got in one night and I, we got stuck into the the vodka vodka uh, raspberry and lemonade and uh, got trashed one night. That's on awesome. Yeah, that was good fun. And um, yeah, it was a great experience. Yeah, really good experience. Especially, so you were what? How old were you by that point? Seventeen, turning eighteen, while I was over there. Yeah. That's a weird. That's a weird age too. I feel like to be doing. I don't know how I would have gone doing a similar thing. Do you know what I mean? Because like, you're, 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 you're with, with your, all your mates, and you know yeah. they're they're pretty. Like they were people that I knew very well. I really knew my coach pretty well. Um, because I used to work with him building. Um, Synthetic tennis courts. Right. So I was very comfortable with him. Very comfortable with all the other people on the. Okay. On the. Uh, on were the they all your age? No, range well range from. Probably youngest was about fifteen or sixteen. And then the eldest was probably about twenty-one, twenty-two. Okay. Like play, like yeah. the the, uh, the students. The coach at that age, at that stage, probably was 40, possibly. Okay. Yeah. Jeez, I would have been fine, though. It was good. We were just driving around, driving around Europe. Yeah, Europe was gorgeous. You know, we played, we played um, mostly France, but we played a few tournaments in Belgium mm-hmm. and a couple in the Netherlands as well. Okay. So we, we, we got you around. Saw a lot. You would have seen a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, That's cool. uh, I think we took a drive into Italy. Uh, we didn't spend too much time in Italy. We went through the, 
you know, the Mount Blanc Tunnel and stuff like that over in Europe, which is a you know, big, long tunnel underneath yeah, yeah. the mountain. Um, no, it's great. I wouldn't be able to do it again because the living quarters, I don't think I could deal with those again no. at my age. But um, Again, that's an age thing. Like, you sort of put up with it at that, like, at 17. Oh, yeah, you don't care. No, especially you if you're doing that. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty, like, when I was working in, in Canada, Shit. It would have been. It, it was probably eight months that I lived in Canada. I lived in a in the hostel, mm. and in the hostel I was living in a in a dorm. That's probably. It's probably a little longer back than my the bedroom I'm in now, mm. and there's eight people in there, and they're all in. You're all in. It's called a um, a pod bed. So you're in like. Have you ever seen those ads for like the. In Japan, the Japanese hostels yeah, yeah, have yeah, those yeah, pods. Yeah. It was a square. It was a, a long rectangle like pod, and anyone who hated living at the hostel called them coffins, right? Because they're just they're not huge, yeah. and so you've got a little shelf in there with like a, a PowerPoint, so you can plug your phone in. A little or USB ports, or, yeah, yeah, USB ports for your phones and two yeah. powerpoints, yeah. and it's got a fan in the corner to like blow to blow onto you and then it's got like a it's like a something to give keep airflow going that's like one fan here one fan there to keep the air flowing throughout the pod but it's like it was a piece of shit like the fans like hum so you can't really sleep if you have it on so you're either gonna maybe get to get a little bit of of sleep with the fan going but it's like humming in your ear or you'll get some sleep but you'll be coughing and stuff because of how stuffy it'll get Oh, yeah. And I did that for eight months. Yeah. Like, if I did that, like, even, like, it wasn't terrible because I just don't really care too much, but it's not ideal, is it? No. At all. And as you get older, you get, you get yeah, more, more and more willing to put up with that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think if, if you ask me in 10 years whether I'd want to do it, I'd probably say no. That's but right. You saw, yeah. I, I was, yeah. I, I got to have a pretty fun time over there and do a lot of cool shit and travel to some cool spots because I, saved all my money because I lived like that because yeah. yeah but we had some fun like, there was a couple of well strange occurrence while I was over in Europe playing tennis is a lot of uh, well when you look back at it you think well maybe that wasn't that safe really I probably shouldn't have done that mm. see one of the tournaments were at um, you know because I was only 17 um, and you know fairly naive worldly naive mm. Um, I've been to a few places before that. I've been, been to America when I was about 13 or 14 just for a cultural exchange trip based around tennis, but it wasn't like a serious tennis okay. trip. And then I'd also been in New Zealand when I was about 16 playing tournaments over in New Zealand as well. But the, some of the French people would try and, you know, make friends with you. you know, they'd try and make friends with the Aussies and whatever. And there was this one time where this guy from a tournament invited me just me, by mm. myself, away from the group. A guy inviting me over, you know, an older guy, probably around, you know, 40. Okay. Asking a 17-year-old yeah, yeah, boy yeah. to his place for dinner. Right. And I accepted and I went. And my coach let me go. Like, he could have been an axe murderer for yeah, all I knew. Yeah, yeah, You know, like, you look back and you go, yeah, what shit. the hell were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, and he was giving me this alcohol stuff. That he, that he claimed was about 60 or 70% alcohol, was this really like rocket fuel. And you think, back, he was probably trying to get me pissed and take advantage yeah, of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
He didn't know. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. And I walked away from the place, so maybe maybe he was just a friendly guy. I don't know. But yeah. when you look back and you think you're in a completely different country, you don't know anyone. Yeah. You've, you've probably only known this bloke for a day or two. And you've said, oh, yeah, I'll go to your place by myself. And my coach let me go. Yeah. And you think... Yeah. It's interesting, like, that the guy didn't do anything. So then it seems... Maybe there's just good people out too. Correct. It, it, it sounds suspect for sure. But risky, you know. Very it's risky. It's risky <laughs> behaviour. You know what I mean? Like it's not the best. Like you, that, that's a risk doing that, you know. Yeah. As a seventeen-year-old, not so worldly Australian guy. Yeah. Just saying, oh, I'll go to this forty-year-old French much, bloke. Was there much chatting at the at the tournament? Was there like a lot of chatting between? Like, were you guys having a conversation for a while, and then he invited you? Yeah. Was, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a bit weird, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. when you look back and you think, because you can't even remember exactly how it led up yeah, to that, yeah. but I do remember going to that guy's place and, uh, yeah, it just it was just weird. Mm. It was, you know, you look back and you go, wow, that could have ended differently. Yeah, that could have been real weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so you left, you said you, at the beginning that you left school at 15. 15, nine months, yeah. What was the choice? Was that when... What, like, why'd you do that? Were you just sick of school? I was, I mean, I'd like to think that I'm reasonably intelligent. I'm not, I'm not a, uh, you know, a, you know, a, a road scholar or anything like that, but um, I just didn't work hard. Okay. Um, and my, my father said to me, he said, uh, uh, no sense in you going to year 11 and 12, you won't do the work, you're a lazy bastard. Said you better go out and get a job. So that was the first job I came across. So worked in a factory for about oh, 12 months, saved some money. Um, you know, the, the factory I worked in packed dry goods like yellow split peas, and um, they had contracts for the, um, you know, the really cheap instant coffee, like black and gold coffee, or, um, you know, there used to be a supermarket chain called Jewels. We used to pack that as well. Um, so I'd come home and I'd be just covered in coffee dust because uh, me and the other factory hand would be, we'd, uh, we'd get these big boxes of coffee. The big box of coffee probably about oh, one and a half metres high right. and about a metre square, but oblong shaped, right. full of coffee. So we'd get them, um, we'd unload them off the truck, they'd go up the conveyor belt upstairs and then we'd have to tip them over, cut open the bags, pour them into the chutes and then the mm -hmm. girls downstairs would be filling them out in the cans yeah, and okay. packaging. Um, uh, we also had a bottle wash there, so all, like all the flag and old flagon bottles and that. Yeah, okay. We used to, sometimes we asked, used to get uh, asked to uh, relieve on the bottle washer. So all the you know all the water go through with the chemicals, wash out all the bottles, we dry them out and, and sell them as, as you know re, re, reconditioned bottles sort of right. stuff. Okay. Um, I made um, mustard pickles. There was a big vat, and we used to make up the mustard pickles. You know, right. we put dried onions and all these other ingredients in, and make make these big vats of mustard pickles. And I think my first paycheck, I think it was it was about fifty five dollars a week. That was back in 1983, I think it was. Was that a lot of money? No. Okay. It wasn't huge, but it wasn't, you know, that was about what a young 
you know, it's 15, nine months. So you're basically getting minimum wage. Min- minimum wage, yeah. So it's f- yeah, 55, oh, yeah. 55 bucks a week. Not a lot. No. Not a lot of money. And were you, were you still living in home? Yeah, yeah I'd catch a train in from uh, Lake Macquarie into Islington. Right. Oh, where were you living? Out near Toronto. Oh. Yeah, that's Did you ever grow up in Maryville? No. Okay. No. Okay. No, I didn't move here until I was about 30, just over 30, about 32, okay. I think. I moved here, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, I guess you would have, was it something where you saved most of that then? Like you, you put a lot of effort into saving because you knew you were going to try and get overseas for the tennis or... It was just, it just seemed Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, 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 the message got out quickly, uh, like early, that in 12 months' time, so I, I saved half and my parents gave me half uh, to do it, That's which awesome. I'm very grateful for. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we weren't an extremely rich family, but um, mum and dad always, you know, I think the older children, I think they got a bit of a rough around the because they never got to do anything like my sister and I got to do, um, but um, yeah, very lucky to have had that. But in saying that, when I when I was of school age, they wouldn't let me take time off school to play tennis. Whereas a lot of the good players, like, and if I wanted to get a, a bit better, if tennis tournaments were on outside of school times, they just let them play. Mm-hmm. Whereas my parents wouldn't let me. They said, "No, nah, you're not taking time off school. Right. Not allowed to. Got to go to school." Yeah, the rules. I think yeah. So, so I sort of I, I feel a little bit held back in that regard, right. as far as like tennis goes. Mm. Um, but you know, I really can't complain about my childhood or life too much. I mean, I was treated pretty well by my parents. I think. Yeah, it would have been. It's that like pe- having parents that are willing to help out with stuff like that to support you with like getting overseas and stuff is pretty good. Well, I think, I think when you're younger, um, you know, up until you get to about 25, you don't, I don't think you really understand how blessed you are to have good parents. When you, when you, when you start to get to the age where you see people the way they've turned out and you also, you have friends that are then starting to be parents at the age of 25. Right which is when you know, a lot of people might start, um, you realise how hard it is to bring up children and to then add the layer and then you're, you know, and that's just the basics of providing for them, sending them to a, a yeah. reasonable school, getting them an education, but then adding to that, giving them some extra opportunities to do other things, yeah. you realise how hard it is and how good your parents are to, be, yeah. to, to let you do that. The, and the juggle, I imagine, that's something I've sort of learned over the last couple of years too, is like seeing the difference between someone my age who was born into a different situation with different parents that didn't know as much or didn't understand as much, you know? So like that juggle of getting your kid to do all that stuff and having the right like school involved and the right opportunities for them to grow the best they can Mm. as well as holding down a full-time job a lot of the time so you've got to look after like keeping that job and doing that stuff while juggling the kids stuff would be tough like oh yeah yeah. it's not it's not easy mate and 
Some some parents crumble under the pressure, yeah. and their children suffer for it. Yeah. Whereas parents like yours and mine, yeah, they sure. didn't crumble. They stood strong and said, "This is what it's all about." Yeah. You know. No, it's true. It's like I think um, there almost has to be. I I always thought about this, and you couldn't ever really get it done, but. Because there's no agreed upon like idea of how you're supposed to parent kids and how you bring them up, but it would be so good if there was like, like a course, like a real a crash course of just how to. Because everyone's different too. Like a lot of people have pretty shitty parents and upbringings and are really successful. So it sort of it depends sort of how you how you want to frame it. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Exactly. Like a lot of people are born into really shit situations, and that's the reason they'll get out of it and be successful. But yeah, it's, it's oh. I wouldn't want. It's it's weird to think back at people who had kids at twenty, where I'm still trying to figure out who I want to be and how I want to fit into the world. Mm. If I had a kid now, it's almost like you've just got to put on. You you're sort of. The amount of work I can put in day to day to try and figure out what I want to do in my life and learn what I want to learn is infinite because I've got no kids. Like, I don't have anything going on. But once you have a kid, you basically don't have any time to do anything for yourself anymore. It's not about you. And I can imagine it being pretty tough. Like, that's always the thing I think when I see people. Like, I've got friends that are starting to have kids now. Mm. And I, I knew a few people that were having kids when we were first getting out of high school. And I just think, fuck, it would be so... It, I just couldn't... I, I would I'd figure out a way to do it for sure, but it would be tough. Like, I can't imagine doing that right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, some people are thrown into it by a chance because they've had an accident. Yeah. And that didn't unwanted, plan it properly. Had an unwanted pregnancy or, yeah. or whatever. And, um, and some people rise to the challenge and some people... Don't. Flounder. Yeah. That's the way it works. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, very, very lucky to have that that that, that sort of uh, support from my parents, and um, still get on well today. Yeah. So very good. Yeah. I might. I reckon we'll put it there.